Hi, I'm Jennifer Askey, and this is the Mindful Academy podcast. I'm an academic coach, and I work with academic professionals of all stripes to help them create the mental and emotional resilience required for careers in the academy. And because not many people know what academic coaches do, in season one of the Mindful Academy, I'm going to introduce you to some of the tools and exercises that I use with my clients. There is a workbook of exercises and tip sheets that go along with these episodes for the entire first season, and you can go to my website, jenniferaskey.com, to find that and download it. Welcome back to the Mindful Academy, and to our ongoing exploration of coaching tools that are key to thinking differently about your career, thinking more holistically, more values-based, and more joyfully. So thus far, I've talked about assessing your satisfaction in eight different areas of your life using the wheel of life. I've talked about identifying which of your core personal values you get to honor on a regular basis in your work, and about your success indicators the legacy you want to leave. And I hope if you've been playing along at home that you found the exercises um, in the Mindful Academy PDF that you can download at my website to be generative and expansive. Instead of a narrow view of career as that thing you pursue when on campus or working from home, that you're thinking a little bit more intentionally about the fact that who you are is how you lead your career. But thinking expansively, and oh, my values here, and my legacy here, and my whole well-rounded life here, um, can also lead to overwhelm, though, and I don't want that. And there are likely a hundred different things that you could do with your time and your talents. Right? But since all work and no play makes Jack something something, um, the next place that we need to go in our mindful planning is to prioritization. So, within these generative and expansive exercises, hopefully you've had some time to think about, oh, yeah, I really like that, or oh, that works really rewarding. And now we're going to talk about how you prioritize. So, friends of mine, Alex Clark and Bailey Sousa are authors of a book called The Happy Academic. And in there, they talk about the fact that we don't manage our time. We manage our priorities, right? So this is not an episode about time management. It's an episode about priority management. The thought behind this is that if we know where we're headed, Right? You've, in, in the last exercise in the Tree of Life, you thought about the legacy you want to give, the legacy you want to build, what success looks like for you. Um, if you know that, if you captured that, then the priority projects that get you there should be clearer. And if those are clearer, then how you spend each of your days should also be clearer because you want to be spending your time working on those priorities. Sounds really simple, but we all know that managing our time around those things that are truly important to us is pretty hard. 
So I'll walk through this today, um, and there'll be a little bit of repeat of last week, and then we're, we're going to get into some really good stuff. So the first step in prioritization is what, what I spoke about in the last podcast, defining what success looks like for you. And this is big picture success. So in my definition of success, for example, for me, I want to have contributed to the normalization and celebration of coaching for academics. That is my overall sort of career definition of success. So then I have a starting point for prioritization, right? Um, so success for me, for you, for anybody, is a big picture objective that isn't contained in one manuscript or one grant or one publication in nature, right? It's thought leadership in your area of research. It's a paradigm shift in your field. It's having contributed to cohorts of PhDs and postdocs who work in certain productive ways and advance the discipline. Or it's an institution that has made meaningful strides in an area where you committed your service time. Right? Those are big picture priorities that aren't just one and done, check them off goals, right? Those are big things. So, if, if, and take some time to think about, you know, what does success look like for you? What do you want to be known for? Why are they going to build that statue of you in the quad? So, if you have that very personal and resonant definition of success in front of you, then you have a yardstick. To, to measure opportunities and obligations that come your way and determine whether or not they meet the criteria for becoming your priorities. You get the opportunity to edit a journal, to teach a summer intensive course, to take on an administrative appointment, to collaborate on a grant, to serve on a committee. If you investigate each of these opportunities and the obligations of time and energy that they represent and measure those against your definition of success, that yardstick, you'll be able to determine whether these opportunities merit becoming your priorities. And this is important because if you've said something is a priority, then it can't be relegated to the tiny slices of time in your calendar that occur between interruptions, right? We tend, most humans, tend to use their calendars to schedule interruptions to work, right? So if you're doing knowledge work, your calendar may very well look like meetings, appointments, things that take you away from that knowledge work. And if the work that you're doing, the contributions that you're making, the priorities that you set for yourself, get 20 minutes here and 10 minutes there and 15 minutes there, this is not sustainable for building a joyful career. So if your job, say, theoretically, is 40% teaching, then 40% of the blocked off time in your calendar should be dedicated to teaching, but not 75%. If 40% of your job is research, then 40% of the time in your calendar should be dedicated to research. Um, one of the coaching organizations that I'm familiar with um, has a, a workbook for 
coaches to use with their clients that does this calendaring exercise. It's Excel-based. It kind of scares me because I don't do Excel, but I like it in principle as an exercise. So you come up with your your time. um, It's like a time pie chart. So let's say you're a traditional academic and you have teaching research service and it's um, 40-20 random percentages. Then you put 40, 40, 20 in a pie chart and one 40 section is red and another one and another one is blue and the 20 section is yellow. And then you go to your calendar and everything in your calendar gets a color and every working hour of your week is booked. So if it isn't booked with an interruption, it's inter, it's booked with knowledge work. So you actually book the two hours for teaching prep. You actually book the three hours for writing um, or collaborating or whatever. And you color code it according to those priorities. And then at a glance, you can look at your calendar and say, over the course of this week or over the course of this month, am I hitting 40-40-20? Or do I have 40-40-20 in my job description, but my actual work week looks radically different? And if that's the case, what needs to give? What trade-offs need to be made? Where do I need to shift things around? So I want to slow down here and give you an opportunity to think about how radically different this way of thinking about how to parcel out your time is from how people habitually do this. And if you're a time wizard and like this kind of calendaring is your jam, get in touch with me. I'll bring you on the podcast and you can teach people your ways because this is truly magic stuff. So if if you, like so many people I know, begin each day with a scan of your email and what people need from you, or you answer all of the requests for meetings or participation in various initiatives with, oh yeah, sure, what you're doing is you are following other people's priorities. Like If you go directly from your inbox to your calendar and take the things from your email inbox and put them in your calendar, you are taking other people's to-do lists and prioritizing them. So you're giving space and time to other people's priority lists and other people's definition of success and not protecting your own. And, you know, whether you've read The Slow Academic or if you're familiar with um, The Happy Academic or you've looked at other sorts of productivity guides, you'll hear all about time blocking and protecting your time and protecting your priorities. Um, and we know that maybe it starts with email or it starts with the, the whole notion of developing a boundary in the first place. And I just want to take one step further back from that and say it involves, I think, that expansive, generative, exciting moment of really figuring out what do I want my career to be about? What really excites me? Why am I doing this? How did I get into this field? Where is that spark? And how do I dedicate as much time as possible to that thing that lights a spark under me? Because that's where I'm going to make my contribution most joyfully, right? That's where I'm going to find flow and be in the zone and make contributions that I really care about. And giving your energy and focus to those things where you want to leave a legacy, where you want to make an impact. And thinking of your success 
in terms of the impact you make, the quality of your work, how it moves you closer to your definition of success, that's radically different than thinking of success in terms of the number of hours you give to something or the volume of work that you, that you take on. So prioritization, just like thinking about your values or your legacy, is an exercise in focus and intention. And that's why I'm grouping all of this under mindfulness, right? This is listening to yourself in a profound way. Because where you focus your energy is where the action's going to happen. And like nobody wants an action-packed email inbox, right? Um, so speaking of action, in the Mindful Academy downloadable PDF, there's an exercise on prioritization that walks you through how you define yourself as a knowledge worker and gives you the opportunity to see where you might be working more or working harder or working beyond rather than working in a concentrated and focused way on those things that are going to lead to the kind of professional success that's going to make you happy. Um, so the exercise itself starts with... <clears throat> um, telling you that it, you're going to have to emotionally, intellectually, and ethically, and I see that there's a typo there, um, come to terms with the necessity of prioritization in academic work, meaning you cannot be all things to all people all of the time, right? And so the first thing is think of moments in your own work in which you define yourself based on the hours of work, the inputs, or the volume, And then think about, what if I reduced all of those? What if I did less of this? Because trade-offs are necessary for prioritization. What happens there? What kinds of thoughts do you have? What kind of feelings do you have? And chances are, the feelings that you're going to have are kind of scary. <laughs> um, but what it's asking you to do is to use sort of two lenses to look at your workload. There's the lens of time, and then this lens of priority and overall success. So if you look at your workload or you look at your calendar and you think that time is what measures success, then you're gonna look at quantity. In your relationships with people, you're gonna think, I'm gonna be everything to everybody. More is more. And the result of that is less satisfactory work for you, not necessarily for promotion and tenure, but for you, because you're spread thin. And I think most people know that feeling of doing all of our jobs suboptimally, right? If we shift to the priority lens and say, I'm going to do less work, I'm going to have fewer partnerships and collaborations, but of higher quality. I'm going to maybe produce less scholarship, but it will be more meaningful. And instead of always saying yes, instead of taking on more, instead of constant growth, I will be disciplined in my pursuit of less, but less that is meaningful and less that is values-based for me. And it's, I hope that it's obvious that quality work that's meaningful to you and meaningful to your discipline, even in slightly smaller quantities, can be a measure of success 
both for you individually and you as a, as the, a member of the institution that you're at. Now, there are going to be times when it's just your turn to take on an onerous task or that you have to deprioritize some of your work in favor of other elements of your career. These can be small undulations in a longer career trajectory, right? But if you are pointing your compass in the direction of success, then these undulations temporary trade-offs and whatnot, you get to course correct, right? Because you're defining success and you're not letting other people's agenda pull you this way, pull you that way, so that you're constantly reprioritizing on the fly based on what other people need. You've set the direction and you take on those challenges and projects that are closest to your direction, right? Um, And there are trade-offs to be made here. Right? This exercise talks about it. We talked about it um, with the Wheel of Life back in the first episode. We cannot be all things to all people all the time. And we can't find peak fulfillment in all areas of our life every single day. And so part of my project here is building awareness around what's gratifying for you, what meshes with your values and your definition of personal and career success, and then making choices to prioritize that because of its astronomical rewards for you at the expense of some other things, like that choice is a choice that you can start making. And so you're maybe rolling your eyes or dismissing me at this point. And your cynical gland (laughs) is inflamed, potentially. Um, I'm anticipating this because I think that is um, my default, right? I I can get lost in cynicism here easily as well, but that's one of the reasons that I do coaching, right? Because I actually don't think cynicism serves us personally or professionally, and so I choose not to go down that path. So I'm pulling myself back. I hope I'm pulling you back with me and saying maybe the first thing you need to do here is to give yourself an enormous permission slip, right? Like hall passes from high school, because maybe this represents entirely new ways of thinking about how to create success and recognition in your career. Maybe it seems scary. And that's okay, right? If you look at this worksheet and examine your feelings and thoughts around the practice of prioritizing according to the success you want to build, rather than according to your inbox or according to your definition of what being the perfect academic citizen would look like, right? You might find fear fear of being seen as not contributing, not pulling your weight. You might find shame at not being able to keep up the appearance of the person who does it all. You might find frustration that your job in the academy expands to fill the available time, whether you give it 40 or 60 or, heaven forbid, 80 hours a week. You may find disbelief that you could prioritize and deprioritize in this way and be taken seriously or be successful. So I'm going to acknowledge those thoughts and feelings, and I invite you to acknowledge them too. And then I'm going to ask you to consider shifting them. 
because motivating ourselves through fear and shame and frustration is not as successful as motivating ourselves through values and joy and creativity and curiosity and empathy, right? So that's the, that's the shift I'm trying to make daily in my life and over and over again with my clients. So one way to address these fear-based thoughts is by shifting your internal perspective and asking yourself what the wisest version of you, maybe even your wise future self at retirement, would see as worth worrying about. And does that little shift give you perspective on what is big stuff and what is little stuff, right? Another internal shift would be to acknowledge the inner critic and the inner judgment and say, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to choose empathy. Holy cow, I've been doing a lot. It's time to slow down and love the work I choose to do. And then think of how rewarding that will be and how the ripple effects of you feeling rewarded can affect others, the people you work with, right? So creating sort of an upward spiral rather than a downward spiral. Another way to to look at these fearful or cynical thoughts around doing less but more valuable is to do some serious investigation about what the reward systems of your institution are for the job category you belong to. So this is sort of the hyper-rational way of going about um, shifting your perspective on what's the big stuff and what's the little stuff. What areas are you evaluated in? How are those evaluations conducted? How do those evaluations determine what happens during the course of the next year or so in your job? How do they reflect the actual work you've done, right? What, what can you learn about evaluations? So if you are a faculty member, you know that some institutions clearly only evaluate and reward faculty based on publications. So publishing is a requirement for career success at those institutions, which can be seen as really limiting. But on the flip side, it also means that the rest of your job, if you're at that kind of an institution, teaching, advising, participating in service for your discipline or for your institution, are wide open for you to determine your priorities and the amount. If you're pre-tenure faculty, it's easy to tell yourself that you actually need to be all things to all people in order to get tenure. I am aware of the systemic racism and enduring sexism in the academy and the compounded pressure that people of color and women feel to act in a certain way to be perceived as good citizens. This is another area that's really ripe for me to get lost in my own cynical thoughts. But if I pivot away from cynicism for a minute, I know that intentional focus and joy that we get from successful values-driven work and that the focus and joy that values-driven people bring to their work is contagious, right? Prioritizing work based on your definition of success, based on the legacy you want to build, and enjoying that work and sharing it with others. That's contagious. That's cool. 
fear-based work, based on striving or hoping. It might feel like a recipe for success in the moment, but it's a recipe for burnout and bitterness, which is not success in anybody's book. So today, my challenge for you is to really take a hard look at how you're spending your time and how you've defined success and to see where you might need to reorient your priorities so that you are working on building your legacy week by week and month by month instead of trying to sort of fit it in to the tiny gaps and crevices between other people's priorities. And as always, I am here to offer support and help. You can reach out to me for a free discovery coaching session. Um, you can find that form on my website, jenniferaskey.com. You can also find me on social media. I'm pretty active on Twitter as jaskey. LinkedIn and Facebook, you can find me as Jennifer Askey or Jennifer Askey Coach. And I thank you for coming and listening to this episode of the Mindful Academy. If you're listening on Stitcher or iTunes, please rate and review the podcast. Um, you can provide feedback, you can ask questions, or suggest topics by getting in touch with me via my website or Twitter. And if you found something of value here today, please share the podcast with a friend or a colleague. I'd appreciate it. The intro and exit music for the podcast is And Miles to Go by November Polaroid from the Free Music Archive. Until next time.